they're not saying that about this podcast, but it could be implied. I am your host, Dan Hummer, for the Unscripted Wrestling Podcast, and I'm here with uh, my big brother, Dougie. Yo. And I'm also here with my uh, little handsome man, Eric. Aw, thank you. How are you? I'm good. How's everybody doing tonight? Every time I call him a little handsome man, he yeah. threatens a file of restraining order. You do it, you do it, and you get an ah. Well, you're more creepy. Or an awe. <laughs> what does that have to do with <laughs> The delivery. Uh, Kurt Angle's top ten moments and matches. That's what we're here to discuss tonight. Kurt had a legendary career, and he's one of our favorite wrestlers, collectively. Oh, wait. We're doing Kurt Angle's right? I had a top ten list of all the Fandango stuff. Shit. We'll throw it out. All right. <laughs> I didn't even know he had ten matches. You know, and not to like break new because I don't. We don't talk about current stuff on this very often. Uh, but the crazy thing about Dolph Ziggler getting cut. Yeah. And uh, John Cena, like he posted it. He had a thousand five hundred and like seventy something matches altogether. Dolph? Yeah. Well, yeah, he wow. had been there. Like, he originally started in the company in 2004. And then, you know, in 2006, well, 2005, he got the big break, or not the big break, but he started on as Chavo Guerrero's caddy when Chavo was Turwin White. <coughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, the Latino turned white guy who was racist against other Latinos. Yeah. Uh, Terrible. And then, you know... His slogan was, white is right. Yeah. It was actually, if it... Well, it started being, if it ain't white, it ain't right. And then the NWACP is just like, uh-uh. Yeah. yeah that ain't happening. Uh, and then Eddie died and he's like, all right. Uh, yeah, it was stupid. So then, yeah. you know, uh, Dolph went away. Then, you know, Spirit Squad happened. And he was Nikki. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, luckily that died. And then in 2008, you know, he was Dolph Ziggler. He comes, hey, how you doing? I'm Dolph Ziggler. You know, doing like that gimmick. Where yeah, he would, the perfection. Yeah. Like when he would come, like the first time he was on TV, he goes up to Mike Adamley, who was the general manager at the time. He goes, uh, oh, Hey, how you doing? I'm Dolph Ziggler. You go, and Mike Adamley goes, I know who you are. I signed you for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, I think it, uh, I think he kind of finally settled into like the show off shit. Yeah. And they started doing that. He started like shaking his ass more and stuff. Yeah. Like 2010, 2011-ish is when he really... Hit his stride. Yeah, exactly. Like, and he was uh, challenging for world titles and he was, you know, had the thing with Vicky Guerrero. Uh, it put him in a lot of dumb shit, but he yeah. was a really talented wrestler. Yeah. Even though he was just on your top ten least favorites and you were talking a bunch of shit about him. As a wrestler and as a performer, I think Dolph Ziggler... I, I called him overrated and underrated at the same time, and I think that's a pretty good uh, definition for him. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people think, like, what's the hoopla? But then a lot of, a lot of people are like, this guy does not get enough attention. And uh, yeah, there was a couple of uh, kind of, dis- to me, kind of dis- disappointing releases yesterday. Yeah. Dolph not being one of them. <coughs> it's still like. I was shocked. 
with to release. To me, it's like make him an agent, though, or something. Yeah. Well, to me, it's like if you're going to reward loyalty to, like, everybody else, like, it's just WWE picks and chooses who they reward loyalty to. Well, and also, too, I, I had read something earlier. <coughs> Dolph has been trying to get out of there for years. Oh, when AEW started, he was trying to leave. Yeah. But they're going to AEW? Probably. More than likely. But they're just like, no, we need you. No, we need you. Stay. You know, all that stuff. So he's like, all right, fine. Uh, But like, a couple of uh, depressing releases to me yesterday. One, obviously, Shelton Benjamin. Even though they really weren't doing much with him. But, you know, it's, you know, Shelton's one of those guys, like, it was depressing when he got released in 2010. To me, that's another one. Like, make him an agent or yeah. something. Like, fucking give him a different role in the company. Something Like, he could be a great agent and train, like, young athletic guys up. Like, why can't, like, it, it just, it doesn't make sense to me to, like, take a guy like Shelton who's given you nothing but loyalty and, like, all right, see you, bub. Yeah. Uh, and then... Like uh, Mustafa Ali, who was actually set to wrestle at the NXT pay-per-view next or at or premium live event next week. I understand, but let's be honest, that kid was a bust. Well, how many opportunities? How many shots? He never got over, and he never well, was. No, what, I, what I'm saying is that, like, I'm surprised that they're because they advertised the match with him and Dominic. I get with the scheduling stuff. I understand all that. I'm just saying Mustafa Ali as a whole. I don't totally hate the decision of saying let's well he wanted to be gone anyway yeah they didn't get enough on their investment he's the kid like he just never really had it i mean he's been trying he he put in for he requested his release like a year ago and they're like no you're staying but he also got a raw deal when he got hurt and kofi took his spot because kofi looked really good one night when he was supposed to look good but kofi looked better and that's how wrestling goes sometimes and kofi got his shot and Kofi got his push. Right. And then ever since then, they tried to kind of like give him things besides that, like the reckoning shit. Is that what it was called? The reckoning? Uh, retribution, maybe? Retribution, yeah. Uh, and that shit just never worked. It just, he's just kind of a bug. Didn't get over. I don't hate him. Like, you, you and fine in the ring and stuff, but to me, he just never worked. Yeah, like you knew, like I knew back in, like, the the Thunderdome era when he wasn't going to work out, when uh, he came back, he made, like, this big return one week, and he sided with Ricochet and Apollo Crews and I think Cedric Alexander or whatever when they were uh, being recruited by the Hurt Business, but they didn't want to join the Hurt Business. Yeah. So, like, they were kind of just – so he kind of joined up. He was a surprise for a six-man tag. And then, like, the next week, because Bobby Lashley was not selling for anybody or bumping for anybody, they booked him in a match, Ali in a match with Lashley, and Lashley just beat the shit out of him for, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, he has a big return, and because you have this guy who thinks he is the love child of Brock Lesnar and Goldberg, uh... That he, you know, that he doesn't have to sell. Like, it, I didn't like that almighty Hurt Business Bobby Lashley shit. Like, 
even though it's like what propelled his career and why people love him. Well, I know. <laughs> what I mean by that is that like the whole like all indestructible and all that shit. Okay. I was not I was not a fan of that because it made too many guys look weak. Like to me, that's what they had to do, though, to get Bobby over. Because remember, Bobby was a failed experiment until this point. Even him coming back, the shit back in the day with ECW, nothing worked with Bobby, ever. And then they finally said, all right, let's give him the Brock treatment and make him unbeatable, and that's what made him work. And, and that's fine, but like when you're wrestling every guy and then you're doing main event pay-per-view title matches where guys have 15 seconds of offense and then MVP trips him up with his cane, because he thinks he's slick. Uh, and then Bobby just beats the shit out of him for 25 fucking minutes. It's yeah. like, that's a pay-per-view fucking title match. You're telling me that you're not even going to give the guy, like, a hot comeback? Yeah. Like, no. not. I can understand television. Yeah. Like, that's one thing. And I can understand, like, lower-level guys. But when you're doing it to guys like Drew McIntyre and Kofi Kingston, who are former champions... And like a Randy Orton. Yeah. Okay. No. Sell. I get at least yeah. give him a little bit of offense. Mm-hmm. Don't make him look like a fucking schmuck. No, I get what you're saying. I just think that that's probably I what needed it. to be yeah. done to finally make him over. Yeah. And that it, it worked. Like no matter what you say, it worked. No, I and, and everybody like yeah. knows it worked. And that's the first thing to work for him ever. So I, I get what you're saying, but I, yeah. I also. I get with their minds that it's like, if we got to bury a bunch of people to make it like, no one's never going to not love Randy anyway. Like shit like that. I don't, I don't really blame them for doing that, but I, I can understand why you weren't entertained by it. Yeah. I mean, again, that's, that's just, and I'm sure it's just me. Uh, no, it's not a wrong opinion either. It's just for, I feel like. I agree with you, Doug. I, and I, I don't disagree. I just think the risk-to-reward ratio, they finally got the reward out of Bobby, so they were willing to take that risk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's get to our list. Oh, yeah, that's why we're here, right? It is. Top 10 moments and matches by Kurt Angle. We have the list right here. And number 10 is Chris Benoit, Royal Rumble 2003. So this I just, one I just is, that match. What'd you think of it? I thought it was a great match. Um I mean these two are always always have great matches. Probably one of their best matches they had one on one. Um when I looked it up it, it I think it was rated the highest match on paper between the two. Was it? No, like, or no, no, he already went. You go now. Yeah, he left dead silence. Uh, so, like with this with this particular match, and Kurt Angle has said before, like because he talks on his show all the time on his podcast about how like you know Benoit was one of his favorite opponents, and like he even said he's like I can't not talk about about him. I can't not talk about my, my feud with him or give him his props for his ring work because yeah. that's half of my fucking career. Yeah, and it's half of his best matches. Yeah. And that's like, like I don't blame him for saying that because it's true. Him and Benoit had some of the best chemistry he's ever had with anybody. And it's like, 
It's the same thing with, like, guys like fucking, like, I mean, Eddie and Benoit had good chemistry, too, but... uh, Jericho. Jericho. Some of his best matches are with Crush Benoit. Even, like, low-key, like Triple H in their feud. Like, that Iron Man match, it would be talked about if he, if what had happened did not happen. Right. It was a fucking fantastic match. But, Kurt, the, the most, though... Kurt is like kind of linked to Benoit in the ruthless aggression late attitude era, especially because they started. And the cool thing about this match is that it was finally starting to recognize that you don't have to be a juice head to hold the title and you don't have to be a fucking big fucking Hulk Hogan, eat your vitamins like character to hold the title. You can have two guys who let's not remember at WrestleMania like a couple years ago or maybe a year ago was this was a mid-card match. Right. But now it's for the world heavyweight title. A mid-card match that, by the way, had six days of build-up. Exactly. Now it's for the WWE Championship. It's a big fucking deal. And it's these two... And it kind of showed that wrestling matters. And it was kind of... To me, it's one of the earlier representations. They were starting to do that around this time, but not really yet because you still had, like, we're we're prepping John Cena and Batista and and those guys to make it. But... Because this is before Benoit and Eddie really, and this is when Paul was writing SmackDown. So SmackDown was the best show, right? But I was just gonna say SmackDown was like the best wrestling show. Yes, and these two were just a perfect uh, encapsulation of that to me. And in this moment, and it just felt like wrestling really mattered, and it felt like two like high level grad. It felt like a UFC fight almost, even though it's not MMA. But it it just felt like two guys that really want it, and it's not really too much of a storyline. It's just. They're going to wrestle and get their shit off, and the better man's going to win. Right. And it just had that feel, and it just felt gritty and tough, and both guys are doing what they have to fucking do to earn this thing. And Benoit seemed legitimate, even though you only really see him in a mid-car status until this point. But he looked like he was ready and like he deserved to be there. And Kurt was already the man by this point. So, to me, this match really worked. Yeah, because... Like, with with this particular match, uh, you know, they had kind of done, like, the, the feeling out process. You know, they were tag team champions for a little bit. And then they did, uh, um, then they did the feud. And then, you know, Kurt went with Paul Heyman. And then they got Team Angle. But it's just like, because they were always doing that feud. It's like, okay, can Benoit win the big one? And... You know, he wasn't able to yet, but that's because, you know, they were still in the process of grooming him. Like, he had his fans, like, or he had his supporters or whatever, but it's just like, okay, you know, they gave him, because <coughs> you got to remember, too, with Benoit, Benoit was given, like, a world title run in WCW, and but he quit the next day. So, like, you got to look at it as, okay, he, he was going to be a world champion, and it's not like he was going to get, like, a big run, but it's been said that he was going to have the belt for, like, a few months. So he was going to get a run with it, but then lose it to Kevin Nash. But he gave that up. Now, obviously, he gave that up because he did not trust the guy that was booking him. But, like, so you have people back there who are also, like, back in 2003, I'm pretty sure that, you know, a lot of the guys that were working on their creative or the writing team or whatever in WWE 2003 were all actually still friends of Kevin Sullivan's. Yeah. 
like Michael Hayes and uh, Michael Hayes and Paul Heyman, uh, among others, I'm sure. Uh, so, like, a lot of them are just like, can we really trust this asshole? But you knew you could trust Kurt Angle because Kurt Angle was one of those guys, you know, you hear Triple H say all the time, you know, Kurt Angle picked this business up faster than anybody. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And everybody will still tell you that to this day. And but and he's probably one of the best athletes to ever enter it, especially because, like, legit, we have to say it at one point today, won a gold medal, a gold medal with a broken neck, which is – this seems fucking impossible just to go against the greatest wrestlers, amateur – like, real wrestling in their prime at the fucking Olympics – and, like, he did the Olympic trials with a broken neck. He did, like, a tournament before that with a broken neck. And then he went to the Olympics with it, with doctors just shooting him up with, uh, not Novocaine, something else. Maybe. No, I no, I think he said Novocaine, didn't he? I, I feel like he did. But, like, 15 shots in his neck just so he didn't feel the pain during the that's match. That's crazy. And then after the match, he would just fucking feel nothing but pain. And that's how he finished the Olympics. Can you tell Mindy to shut up? No. no, I'll tell your mother to, though, if you want me to. Yeah, uh, please. Uh, what were we talking about? Uh, I think we're still on number 10. Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. But no, you were talking about uh, Kurt winning uh, winning a gold medal with a broken neck. Yeah, it's one of the most impossible, crazy things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yep. It just... And, He's hilarious. He's the like the best athlete. There's just so many reasons and why I was so excited to do this list because Kurt Angle is like in my top ten favorites of all time. I love Kurt Angle. So and yeah. if you haven't checked out the Rogan interview yet, I would recommend to go do that because that just came out and you get a lot of insight into the man's life that you might not have known about. Yeah, I added, I added to my library for um so on my list. But, uh, all right, number nine? Number nine, the infamous milk truck segment. From oh, August my God. I remember watching this with so much fondness. You loved it? Yeah. Because I was becoming a Kurt Angle fan because for some reason I was buying him as a baby face. And, uh, like... He, you know, he comes out and they were, and, you know, the whole invasion angle, which was kind of stupid to begin with, but like there were like bright spots. I turned mine off, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's just the person that was bugging you responding to me because I said bug off. Oh. Uh, well, I didn't actually say that, but anyway, so like uh, with Kurt and Austin. Which, by the way, like, we do have to talk about how the chemistry that they had with one another. Yeah. Which was funny. Even though I kind of liked it better when Kurt was the heel and Austin was the baby face. Me too. But, uh, like, the whole thing, you know, at SummerSlam, he got screwed because Austin beat up three referees. Was, was Kurt the heel for this? No, he was the baby face. Yeah, and... I like so. Which one did you like better, that or you liked Austin better as baby? What did you just say? I said 
that uh, you like Austin better. As I, I I thought like the feud worked better when Austin was the babyface, but this moment is like an exception. See, I'd almost disagree because I love. Was it the SummerSlam match when he had him yeah. tap out, but the time limit went out? I loved that. It, it wasn't uh, the time limit going out. That um, it wasn't the time limit going out. It was the uh, Austin hit four referees, so then Nick Patrick came out while Austin was tapping and then rang the bell. Okay. Uh. And then Austin attacked, but Nick Patrick was also, um, but Nick Patrick was also the heel alliance referee. Hell yeah. But the milk truck thing is one of the best things I've ever seen. What is the milk truck thing? Oh, I love that. Don't call Steve Austin back in the day. Well, a couple years before this. Was it 99 or 98? Uh, 99 is when Austin did the beer truck. Right. So Vince McMahon and the corporation are the bad guys, right? Right. And Stone Cold is, like, obviously this, like, the working man, and that's why everybody loved him, and he's, like, the guy that's telling his boss to fuck off. Rock, Vince, and Shane are all in the ring, uh, and Steve comes out, on a beer truck and like sprays them with beer and floods the ring. And it's okay. like a huge moment. And it's like a big, like people still talk about it. It was hilarious. And Vince is running around like so fucking falling over to himself. Rocks all freaked out. So you shoot up to 2001 and they're doing the whole WCW invasion thing. Austin finds himself on that side and Austin's a bad guy now. And Kurt Angle's on the other side. So it's Kurt's turn to like, do something like that, but Kurt's like a wholesome character. That's kind right. of was Kurt's whole thing. Was he's not like a drinker like that. He's a wholesome guy. Right. So he comes out on a milk truck and he shoots Austin and all the WCW people with fucking milk. Oh, that's cool. And it's just as funny as the beer truck. It's almost better. Yeah. Which is funny because it's like a copy of that, but just Kurt fucking screaming like at the top of his lungs, squirting milk and, out. And that's hilarious. They are going milkomanias running, running <laughs> some shit. And then good. what's funny about that, and here's actually something that Kurt uh, talked about, like when they remember the old Confidential show. So like when Kurt was on Confidential, like a year or so later, talking about that segment, he said the worst part about that is I was covered in milk and I couldn't even shower because I had to catch a flight back to Pittsburgh that day or like that night. So he had a midnight flight, or yeah. not, or no, it wouldn't have been midnight because they were on. Uh, Pacific time, so it was like a like a 9 p.m. flight, 9 p.m. Pacific, uh, to get back to Pittsburgh. So he's on the plane and he smells like sour milk now because he's been in those clothes for like an hour. Oh man! And the people on the plane are just like, you do know you smell like sour milk, right? And he's like, yeah. If you watch Monday Night Raw, you know why. Yeah. Wow. So, like, he talked about that. He's like, maybe I should have showered after. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, but that, it was funny, because, like, in that moment, because they were doing, like, that Austin Appreciation Night or whatever. Yeah. And, like, everybody, they were all singing that Austin was, like, the wind beneath their wings or some or some shit like that. Or, uh, 
Yeah, the wind beneath her, whatever the fuck the song was. Yeah, the oh, wind beneath my wing. Thank you. Uh, and like everybody's singing it, nobody could sing or shit. And Stephanie McMahon's got that breaks ten mirrors at one time voice. Uh, so like they're all singing, and then Kurt comes out, or and then Austin, you know, starts bullying Taz because everybody's got like an Austin three sixteen shirt on, and Taz is wearing a Taz shirt. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, he's, it looks like he's getting ready to beat up Taz. Angle comes out in the milk truck. Sean Stasiak goes to attack Kurt, but Sean and Kurt just sidesteps him, and Kurt and Stasiak runs face first into the truck. That was hilarious, because Stasiak was, like, doing that. That was his gimmick at that point. Yeah, was attacking was, people, and then, like, they run out of the way, and he gets his ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, like, he did that the night before at SummerSlam. He tried to he tried to attack Rock twice and Kurt Angle twice. And he fucking fell. Yeah. <laughs> like, it looked like an idiot. But yeah, I like that gimmick for, for Sean. Exactly. And, like, because uh, the one time he was doing it, I think he was trying to attack. I forgot if it was Rock or Angle, but they were in uh, – William Regal's office because he was the WWF commissioner at the time. And Regal's got this statue of like a knight like right next to his desk. Yeah. And that's where either Rock or Angle was standing. They get out of the way and Sean Stasiak starts running and runs right into the statue. And Regal just looks down just and just kind of is like, huh, oh well. And just goes back to writing, you know, <laughs> Writing on his notepad, yeah, with his little pen with the <clears throat> with the feather on it, you know, like they did back in the eighteen hundreds, back in those British days. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that <laughs> that was that was hilarious because, like that again, like you said, that was Stasiak's gimmick, and it kind of worked for him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not well, but. But it worked. Yeah. Don't worry. The only thing he did that was over. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Planet Stasiac stuff didn't work. The milk thing was weird because it was probably the only thing about the storyline that did work. Because no one cared about Austin being a bad guy. Everybody wanted to love him. Nobody really gave a shit about WCW and ECW anymore. And that whole storyline felt stale. And the fact that you had WWE guys kind of going against WWE guys... It kind of muddied the waters, but this was the one like moment where we were all fucking into it. Yes. Yeah. And it just it got a great pop from the crowd. It just everything about it was amazing to watch. The rivalry is underrated, I think. Yeah. Because everybody remembers the beer truck segment, but nobody really talked about the milk truck. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The next That's one number nine. That was number nine. Now number eight, Shane McMahon at King of the Ring, two thousand one. Oh boy, this one is funny because like as good of a match as this was, like this match was almost kind of snake bit because they, they were they were hitting each other so hard that like they were fucking because it, it was a street fight I believe right? Yes. Like Kurt broke his tailbone. Uh, he ended up with a concussion. Shane ended up with a concussion. Like, they both had to spend time in the hospital. Like, five minutes into the match, they were fucking... Well, he fucking threw Shane around like a rag doll. Yeah. Though. He fucked Shane up. 
Yeah, wasn't it an overhead belly-to-belly that was actually supposed to go through one of the plate glass King of the Ring things? And he bounced off. Yeah. And fucking landed on his neck, didn't he? Yeah. And, uh, like, they thought Shane was out, and Shane just said to Kurt, he goes, it didn't work, do it again. And Kurt's just like, I almost killed you. He goes, I don't do it again. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one. Shane always had balls. Yeah. No matter what you want to say about it. And he was always fine throwing his fucking body around. But those those two just... It it makes this list not only because it was amazing, but the fact that it should not have been as good as it was. Especially with what you said with how many things went wrong during that match. But also, just on paper, we're going to have our best amateur wrestler and the best guy that like knows the fundamentals versus the son of the owner of the company that can't really wrestle with those baby punches. And we're going to put them in a street fight. Does not sound like it's going to be that entertaining. Right, but also, too, if you do do street fights, Shane can do those. Yeah, well, Shane can, to me, Shane can do anything, because I think Shane's a good wrestler. People try, and he's not like AJ Styles or nothing, but Shane has put on good men, and he, he's a very Jeff Hardy, like he's a stunt performer. Yeah. He'll fucking, he will put his body on the line for a show. But I think some of Shane's best matches are worse street fights. Yeah, because the show with Kane. 99 with Cass. Yeah. Uh, the match at WrestleMania 17 with his father. That's the best match he's ever done. Which has no business being good at all. That it was so good. Yeah. Uh, he did one with Rock, I think. That was like Balls Count Anywhere. Or the Big Party. Show thing was cool. The Blackman thing was cool. Yeah. Like, Most of his matches are street fights. Yeah. So. Well, that's what I mean is that, like, he can do that stuff. Like, uh, the matches he had with Kane, like a last man standing, and then, like, the stretcher match or whatever. Well, that's why the match with AJ just in a wrestling rig was, like, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. Well, yeah, that's why, like... That's why a lot of people were just like, okay, it's just going to be a straight up WrestleMania. Like, Corey Graves got in trouble for talking shit, for about, it, talking yeah. shit about it. He's just like, it does nothing for me. And then Shane said to him, he goes, uh, you know, called him aside. And then, like, uh, Corey Graves is just like, oh, yeah, like, I, I add controversy. And, you know, you told me to bring it to the table. So that's what I did. I brought it to the table. And then. Peter Rosenberg's like, all right, well, what did Shane tell you? Bring that to the table. He goes, I ain't going to say anything. I got in trouble. <laughs> like, I, so, so it's just one of those things where, like, Corey Graves has no problem, like, stirring controversy, but he will not tell you when he gets his ass chewed. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to Shane and Kurt, it's, it's one of those things where, like, and remember, too, at that point, Kurt had wrestled three times. Yes, he did. Uh, she doesn't agree. Well, she hasn't seen the show. Um, but, like, because Kurt was in the King of the Ring tournament. Yeah. He wrestled uh, Christian and beat Christian. He lost the edge in the final. Uh, I always forget that was the same night. Yeah. And then he wrestled the rest of the Was that King of the Ring tournament, like, the four guys in the tournament, like, it was so fucking stupid because there were four guys that were heels. Yeah. Edge was heel? They were starting to turn babyface, but Edge and Christian and Rhino and Kurt, like, none of them were babyface. Yeah. 
I mean, shit. I think the only person that actually, the only baby face that was act, that actually advanced in a in the qualifiers, uh, or that only quali- the only baby face that qualified for the tournament was Jeff Hardy. There. So like it was, it, it was such a weird tournament. But it's just like, I mean, also, too, a lot of their baby faces at the time uh, were just not, you know, they had a lot of mid-card baby faces, but they didn't have, like, a lot of top-tier baby faces. Like, Jericho and Benoit were doing the thing with Austin. Rock was off making a movie because he was starting to realize that he didn't want to wrestle anymore. Yeah. Turned uh, out to be a good move. Yeah. Uh, well... James Gunn and Peter Stafford will <laughs> disagree with you. Uh, they w- actually wish he would have stayed in wrestling. Um, but, uh, like, one of the things, and then, like, you had Undertaker who was doing the stupid stalker, you know, uh, uh, the thing with DDP where DDP was stalking his wife. Kane was Intercontinental Champion at the time. So, like, a, a lot of those top-tier baby faces were not, like, they were all busy doing, like, other, other things. And, like, King of the Ring was starting to get to the point where it wasn't important anymore. Yeah. So that's why, like, Edge and Christian and Ryan, like, it, it became a competition because those four guys were all friends. Because Edge and Christian were longtime friends with Rhino, and they had always teamed with Kurt. Yeah. So... Like, it kind of made sense for the four of them to be in it, but it's just like I, the fans really didn't give a shit. Yeah, they started caring about Edge like a little after. But the other matches on it, like this, is what made it. Yeah, this, and then uh, obviously that triple threat with Austin, Jericho, and Benoit. You know where Booker T showed up. Uh. And attacked Austin in a match that actually Austin broke his back. Yeah, because of Booker. Yeah, because Booker threw him across the mind. And then, like, I think the actual plan was, like, when Austin broke his back, he's like, I have to drop the title. And then Benoit broke his neck, and Jericho's like, I don't want the fucking thing. (laughs) Jericho's the only one that came out of that match unscathed, but yet he didn't win the title because he's just like, I don't want it. Did he really say he didn't want it? I, I'm pretty sure, like, because I think Austin was trying to drop it to somebody because he broke his back because he knew he wasn't going to be able to work for a while. Yeah. And but Benoit then knocked himself. Benoit broke his own neck by delivering like that back suplex off the top. Yeah. He delivered the yeah. move, but he landed wrong. <laughs> Ooh. So. Poor guy. Yeah. But yeah, this match was awesome. <laughs> Was. All right. Number seven. seven. Number seven. We have when he won the title off the rock at No Mercy two thousand. I, I really do think Wait a lot moment. of coming with a booger in his nose. Yes, sir. in his nose. I or, think so. Or right? Are you looking at me? No, didn't Kurt have a booger in his nose? When I he think won? he did. Because Triple H made fun of it. Yeah. Uh but I think everybody saw this coming because Rock had been known for 
not having long title reigns. Yeah. I think this was actually the longest reign he had had. How long was it? Like four months. There you go, Rick. Uh, but, I mean, to me, this was just, this was, it was time. That's the cool thing about Rock, though, is I feel like he lost so much for such a top guy. Like, he was the opposite of a Hogan, you know? Like, whether or not Rock's a diva in Hollywood, I don't think he ever was. He was never a diva here. Like, he's putting over fucking... Like, when he... When they started that ascent for him to be, like, that top-level babyface, right? In 98, when he was... He got, like, a couple months pushes, like, the major babyface. Yeah. And then, uh, like, the one pay-per-view, I think it was a a Judgment Day pay-per-view, the same pay-per-view where Austin had the referee in the undertaker Kane match. Rock was working Mark Henry. And everybody's just like, oh, you know, Rock, he's so, he's so over. He's, you know, uh, one of the hottest stars in the company. And he lost to Mark Henry that night. Yeah. Who Mark Henry's biggest claim to fame at that point was he almost got to stick his tongue down China's throat. <laughs> He didn't even give birth to a hand yet. Yeah. So, like, the fact that, you know, Rock is, you know, he, like you said, he lost so much, but it never hurt him. No, because of that charisma. Yeah. But back to Kurt. This was a huge win for him. Yeah, exactly. It really was. Oh, definitely. Huh? I'd say the packing the torch. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. I mean, a lot of your big players were still... I think it was just, we need another guy besides Triple H and, and Rock. Yeah. We need somebody else. We need a nice, like, chicken shit heel to hold the title for a couple of months. And that's kind of what Kurt was. I thought Kurt did a damn good job out of it. Yeah. Another match I, I want to, like, reference is... Because it was around... The, I don't know if it was a part of this title reign, but I think it was the year later, 2001, when he held it. But when he had the match against Undertaker and he used the doppelganger, Kurt. Oh, that that was the next month of Survivor Series. Oh, okay, so it's pretty time. But that to me, it's like that's a cool heel move, actually. Even though that dude looked nothing like fucking Kurt Angle. I, well, the hair kind of did. Yeah, it did. But if you if you look at it, and face, by the way, that was his brother. Okay. That that was Eric Angle. Oh, sweet. Yeah. But uh, to me, that worked. I enjoyed that. I I'll never. <laughs> I'll never forget when Undertaker hit Angle, you know, Eric Angle with that last ride. And Earl goes down, counts one, two, and then stops. <laughs> He's like, it's not him. It's not him. <laughs> and then, and then like, everybody's just like, wait a minute, did Earl sell out? And Undertaker looks like he's going to hit him. And then, like, Earl is trying to explain that's not Kurt. Yeah. But, like, Undertaker's not listening, and then Kurt comes up from behind, rolls him up, gets the pin. It was so good. Yeah. Even though, like, he – I know, like, a lot of people say he didn't need the chicken shit shit because he was so legit as a wrestler, but to me it worked. Angle was such – like, the, the first couple year Kurt Angle, like, up until, like, 2000 – I want to say 2004 when he really started to get, like, aggressive and shit. Yeah. Like 2004, 2005, I mean, well, 2005, you know, towards the end of 2005, that's when he started getting, like, really creepy. Yeah, I mean, I think the aggression really started in, like, 2003. Yeah. 
2002, once the hair went off, then he started getting really angry. Yeah. And I like that Kurt, too. I like intense Kurt. Yeah, but, like, but like that first couple of years, he was such a dork. Yeah, he was. That's kind of what made him likable, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed, like, I still enjoyed a lot of his heel stuff, especially, like, the stuff that made him look like an idiot. Yeah, because he was so good at it. Like, even, like, in the in the Kurt babyface run, when Edge and Christian were looking for, like, a partner for the six-man tables match, and they went to Kurt, and they're like, hey, do you want to do this? And Kurt looked at them and said, you bet your sweet asses. <laughs> And he walked away, and Christian just looked at him and said, did he just say we have sweet asses? <laughs> and this, is, this is like the baby face, the baby face Kurt Angle uh, that's going to be sticking up for the company. Yeah. All right. And, like, he still had that moment where uh, – you know, he was still kind of goofy. And even, like, too, like, the one night he teamed with Undertaker, and he came out and he had the red, white, red, white, and blue bandana yeah. on his head and the sunglasses. And Undertaker looks at him and says, what are you doing? He goes, well, you're the American badass. I'm an Olympic gold medal ass. Medal, yeah. And then he goes, and Stone Cold and Booker T together make up a horse's ass. <laughs> he was so funny and, back then. And then he's just like, you know, it's kind of funny, but take off the bandana. And this was a little later, <laughs> but my favorite line from Kurt probably, because it's not on the list. And it is like heel 2003-ish Kurt when he's talking to Rey Mysterio. And he told this story. Oh, yeah. And this is like one of the clips. Like, this comes up in my Facebook alg- algorithm all the fucking time. And I always see this segment. And it's when he's talking to Rey Mysterio in the ring. And he's like, you're just a boy. And me, I'm a man. And I'm a man that loves playing with boys. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and the crowd's like, like in it too. And he's like, wait, let me refer. And then he like kept trying to say it a couple times. But it sounded weird each time. And it was just so funny. And it's, to me, it's like, he just, he always got the sense of humor. He never took himself too seriously, and that's what made him such a good character. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. What's the match we're on now? Uh, so we are on number seven, so this was... Rock and No match. Mercy. It was, this is pretty much, like, it was a good match. It was all right. It's not the most elite match on this list, but it's right. a big moment for him because yeah. he won the title. Right. Exactly. It's his first ever world Yeah, it's his first title. Yeah. Especially against a huge you know, would... name like Rock. Exactly. Exactly. All right. For number six, I have the crazy shit he did in TNA. Which was a lot of it. Basically, and he talked about his like drug use and pain pill addiction and stuff too. And a lot of people call his TNA run Perk Angle. Yeah. Because that's when he was really, and he was just fucking going bananas and doing fucking backflips. And when he did that somersault thing off the stage on New Abyss, when he jumped off the fuck, didn't he do a shoot and start press off the cage or he did something off a cage, didn't he? I, I think so. I, I remember so. A, uh, a 450 he tried to do on Sting. Yeah. But he completely overshot it and it just looked, a four, it looked like a 450 knee drop. Yeah. It just, he. 
it, and all the crazy shit starting the main event mafia, just like those segments with the main event. Mafia, it just I remember a lot of Kurt just screaming at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he was getting to that point, like that was like the two thousand four two thousand five Kurt Angle, where he was just like he was very scary. Mm-hmm. And like here, like he was going around, he was just breaking people's ankles. I'll never forget, like when he was starting, like when he came off. I think it was in two thousand eight when he came off. At, like he was having issues with Karen, like him and Karen had officially broken up. Yeah. Like or it had been made public that they had broken up. Been made public. And like he had to do a match. It was AJ <coughs> and uh and AJ Styles and Gail Kim and ODB versus Kurt Angle and the beautiful people, Angelina Love and Velvet Sky. Jesus. And they were gonna be main event. And Kurt Angle's trying to talk to them. And, like, all they care about is TMZ and talent scouts. And Kurt Angle looks at JB and says, see, this is why I hate women. And I was just like, and Papa's watching it with me. He goes, and he's just like, oh, boy. That was funny. Yeah. Just, yeah, Kurt was fucking nuts back then. And, like, it's sad because, like, he was going through some real life problems. Yeah. And real issues. And that's not yeah. something to be laughed about. But the entertainment that he was giving us was fucking crazy. Like, he was just... Because a lot of people... And we don't have a lot of TNA on this list because he has had so many... And it can also be a separate list down the line. Yeah. But because his WWE career, to me, was, like, so memorable. And that's what a lot of people saw. That's what the most eyes were on. So, like, let's let's provide a lot of that. But a lot of people will tell you, like, his TNA career might be better than his WWE career. I don't agree with that. I've always said, I'll say that. About um, I've said that. I'm one of them. I've said that. Yeah. And I, and I don't, I don't knock people that say it. In my opinion, I think he just did too much in his short time in WWE to not be a WWE guy. Right. Cause he did like, he was the guy world yeah. champion, all this shit fucking kind of passed the torch to Cena. Like he just did all the things. So Christian, I'll always say that way better in TNA than he ever was in WWE. But Kurt, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll say, when when Kurt went to TNA, it was not just to get a paycheck. He put his all into everything he did. Even if he was fucking drugged out or whatever, like, he was fucking going ham. I will say that about Christian, and I will also say it if he would have stayed off the sauce or, you know, off the extracurriculars, I would say that about Jeff Hardy. Them being more TNA guys. I'll throw another one in the mix. Rhino. Rhino just got like because you Rhino, might say ECW more than anything, but yeah. like he had a pretty good TNA career. He he did, and like when he won yeah. that NWA title, <clears throat> which was pretty much just uh because they needed like a big moment because Kevin Nash was going to win the NWA title at that bounce of glory. Yeah, but then Kevin Nash, as per usual, got hurt. Yeah. Okay, so they're like, all right, we need a big moment. Because Bound for Glory, it was always one of those. It's sort of WrestleMania. Yeah, and it's always one of those, we're sending the crowd home happy. Even if we don't want the guy that we're going to give the title to to have the title that long, we're uh, we're sending the crowd home happy. Yes. And so they figure, they put Rhino for the Monsters Ball, where, you know, him and... Jeff Hardy and Abyss and Sabu beat the fuck out of each other. Yeah. And then Rhino comes out, wins that 10-man gauntlet with Jeff Hardy. Uh, 
was a part of, and Don West and Mike Kinney lost their shit. They're like, how the hell? Because Jeff Hardy took that pile driver off the stage through the tables that night. Yeah. And that was like 10 minutes before this gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how the hell is this guy in this match? And Don West and Mike Tanay are losing their shit. Quick shout out to the two of them. It was to, to Mike Tanay and obviously rest in peace, Don West. They're getting in, they're getting inducted into the Impact Hall of Fame this year. They deserve at, it. at Bound for Glory. And I watched that video. Yeah, I've watched the video of the announcement like three times. I cried each time because uh, I feel so good for for both of them. You know, obviously Don won't be there to do a speech. R.I.P. Don West. He wasn't a man. Yeah. He won't be there to do a speech, but if he were there, it would be entertaining as all hell. But those two guys are one of the reasons, I think, why a lot of people fell in love with DNA. And did he? Because he was, he came back to TNA, like, before he passed, right? Yeah, he he did, like, some... Because I remember seeing him doing a promotional video for an AJ Styles box set. Yeah. And it was like, and he's like, and if you like him now, which he was at WWE at the time. This was, like, 2018, 2017? Yeah. Because he had done other, like, stuff. Like, they were bringing him back for, like, the 15th anniversary or something like that. They would always have him do stuff for Slammiversary. Okay, yeah. Uh. Because he actually lived in the area where, like, he was in close vicinity to come do that stuff. They didn't want to pay for Tanae's plane. <laughs> yeah, one of the more underrated uh, color guys ever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the T- Kurt and TNA was definitely a treat. And if you can just look up, like, Perk Angle or, or Kurt and TNA, just do it. Because it's a fun YouTube video to watch. Yeah. He did some insane shit yeah. there. Let's go to number five now. And we're going to have our only TNA match on the list. Samoa Joe at Genesis 2006. Yep. So this was after the headbutt heard around the world. Yeah. Now, just me asking, is that even on the list? Or should we have talked about that when we talked about all the crazy shit he did? Just put it in here. All right. This is the last TNA thing. Okay. So... Kurt debuts, like, they make the announcement in September of 06 that he's coming in. And they said, oh, it's real, it's damn real. And Tim Cornette, who was a member of TNA management at the time. I did hate that, though. It's it's real, it's damn real. Just like the Mr. Anderson shit. Like, do your own shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're going to hate the fact that Cornette is better management. No. But it's like... My thing in WWE, it's true. It's damn true. So now that I'm in TNA, it's <laughs> like, come on, motherfucker. Just come up with a new slogan. Uh, exactly. But continue. Yeah. So they did a thing. Samoa Joe beat Jeff Jarrett at uh, one of the paper, at the September pay-per-view and actually <laughs> took the TNA title or the NWA title from Jeff Jarrett. Didn't win it, but he took it from him. He said, you don't deserve this because I beat you. Even though Jeff Jarrett was not scheduled to defend the title again until against Sting about Glory. Uh, Jim Cornette announces that Kurt Angle is going to be the special guest enforcer for Jarrett versus Sting. Samoa Joe had the title with him. He was not giving it up. So 
Jim Cornette calls Samoa Joe to the ring and says, you need to give me the damn title. We need it for Sunday. Samoa Joe told Cornette to go fuck himself, which a lot of people have, uh, especially on the show. So then Kurt Angle makes the big debut, comes out and just headbutts Samoa Joe in the face and then hits the Olympic slam. Well, then it looked like Joe was rising from the dead. He's got blood all down his face. He's pissed. Yeah. You know. Great moment. Yeah. Basically, you know, that's how uh, Joe took a lot of his baby pictures. Blood down his face and was pissed. Uh, That's actually how he takes a lot of his pictures, actually. Um, So, they get into this big brawl. They decide, okay, we're going to... We're going to put the two of them. They called it the dream match of the decade. And it was like, I'm pretty sure it was actually the main event. Like Sting and Abyss was the title match for that pay-per-view, and they didn't even go main event. Like they gave it to these two. Yeah. Samoa Joe. Rightfully so. Huh? I said rightfully so. Yeah. Samoa Joe had a 17-month undefeated streak. Not been pinned in 17 months. And Kurt Angle submitted him. Made him tap out. Made him tap out. And it was just... By the way, I believe it actually did the most buy rates ever for a TNA pay-per-view. 60,000 buys. It's not bad for them. Not at all. Great match, too. Just like when we talk about the athleticism and the Benball thing, like this... This felt like a UFC fight, too. Even though one of their later matches was like more actually like that. Yeah. This was like, it, it just had that big fight feel. Yeah, and yeah. Samoa Joe was a perfect opponent for Kurt because he matched Kurt's, you know, intensity. Yeah, and athleticism yeah. and power and all that. And Kurt, like, Samoa Joe did not have a funny bone in his body. No. Uh, except for when at the WrestleMania before he got uh, released the first time in 2021, when uh, they made him put on a poncho. <laughs> uh, when uh, they were starting to get rained out and uh, him and Michael Cole were just standing there with fucking ponchos. And you could look at Joe's face and be like, I look like an idiot right now. That was funny, though. Yeah. Joe could, he can't crack a one-liner every once in a while. Every once in a while, if he wants to, he can crack a one-liner. The problem is, he never wants to. He's, the, he's one of the most serious wrestlers out there. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. We want to go in on number four? Sure. Number yeah. four. We have, and we talked about a little, because uh, uh, we did the Brock and Kurt episode not long ago. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it, but Brock Lesnar, SummerSlam 2003. In my opinion, their best match. It was their best match because yeah. it was really showing Kurt as a baby face, and Brock was doing this whole new thing where, you know, he was kind of Vince McMahon's heavy. Yeah. And Exactly. Who took the angle slam in the chair? Was it Brock or was it uh, or was it Vince? I think it was Brock. 
Because I think Vince did Might take a bump. I don't remember. Uh, but, like, they had the whole thing where, uh, you know, Vince was trying to get Stephanie McMahon to quit, you know, as general manager of SmackDown. So he was trying to rule, but Stephanie wouldn't quit. So to punish Stephanie, he made her wrestle A-train. And then... Uh, yeah, she was underrated as a GM. Yeah. She was actually pretty good as a baby face. <laughs> and then, like, she, uh, and then, like, Undertaker was trying to stick up for Stephanie. Uh, and, you know, he ended up wrestling A-Train at SummerSlam, and Sable, Sable was in the corner. And then Stephanie came out and, you know, kind of helped Undertaker. And then, like, you had this match where it was uh, Kurt, you know, versus Brock. And, uh, like, this this was kind of showing, because Brock had gone on the tear where he had injured Brian Kendrick. He, like, absolutely almost fucking destroyed Zach Gowan. Yeah. To the point where, like, Zach Gowan was supposed to wrestle at SummerSlam against Matt Hardy, but it's just like, he ain't going to make it. Yeah. Uh, And... But this match was good because, like, and there was no fucked up spots in this match, which was kind of nice. Yeah, because that's the only asterisk in the WrestleMania match. Yeah. Is uh, how much that shoot and start press kind of threw a wrench in things. Yeah, exactly. But this did not have that. That's kind of what made it amazing. No. It was a good story, too. Come back yeah. with Kurt Angle, winning the title back. Yeah, and Kurt wasn't baby for this one, right? Or was he? He was, and I, I think that was always was, yeah. kind of the best for him and Brock. Well, yeah, because Brock should be Brock Lesnar. If Brock yeah. Lesnar can be a natural heel, if he's allowed to show like his comedic side, <laughs> uh, which. He does so well, you know, on the Pat McAfee show, at least. Hell yeah. All right. Yeah, that was that was very entertaining. Yeah. Don't break the table. Bam. <laughs> I break shit. Uh, all right. Probably, and one more funny moment, because... I, this is not on the list, but before we get into our number three, right? Three? Yeah. Before we get into three, yep. I do want to bring up the rap battle with John Cena. Oh, my God. And because that's the one funny thing that I kind of forgot to put on there. Because he had so many hilarious moments, like with singing with Austin and stuff. But when he rap battled Cena, and Cena's still like the bad guy, hip hopper, like fucking asshole. And Kurt, and Kurt does the side hat. Yeah, and he's being corny and he's dancing like side, like how we dance. Yeah. And Taz is loving it and the crowd's laughing. And then he finishes with the line. And he's like, "You can't beat me, no, no, no. I may suck, but you just blow." And yeah. fucking everyone starts laughing and Cena's freaking out and it was it was just so funny. Yeah, like when he was allowed to be. Yeah, funny, well, he had attention. He was such a goofy, like his. No offense, not trying to call you goofy, but his like humor reminds me a lot of years, and that's why I really like relate and find him hilarious. Because sometimes you just tell like Kurt, just go be Kurt, and then he just comes out with crazy shit. 
Like it didn't. It doesn't even feel rehearsed. It doesn't feel like The Rock trying to come up with a funny line. It's just like Kurt being goofy, and that's what's hilarious. Yeah. He, yeah. like the whole Natural. thing when he had like the little hat on his head. Yeah. That was like something. I think Austin tells the story about how like he was just going through like an airport gift shop or something. Yeah. And he decided he's just like. He bought, he's going through the airport with Deborah and he, he sees like these hats or whatever and he goes, I have an idea for a segment tonight. <laughs> and so he bought, like, he, he got a cowboy hat for him, he got a cowboy hat for Vince and then he got like the little thing with the string or whatever for Kurt, like the little kid's cowboy hat. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he goes to Kurt and he goes, I have an idea for a backstage segment. And Kurt's like, all right, well, what is it? He goes, and he shows him what's in the bag. And Kurt's just like, okay. <laughs> he goes, I'll do it. He's like, the little one's mine, right? Yeah. And that was the Jimmy Crack Horn shit, right? Uh, yeah, that's how it started out with him getting ahead. He goes, I feel like a real cowboy. This <laughs> is so good. He was so funny. All right. Now, one of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen, number three, and we've talked about this at nauseum on this show probably, but it's just one of the best matches ever, so how can you not? Versus Eddie Guerrero, WrestleMania 20. Yeah, which I'm yep. pretty sure Eddie wanted Kurt to win. Yeah, because Eddie never really wanted to keep the belt because he didn't like the pressure. Yeah. But Kurt was really coming into his own as a villain and as a scumbag and him kind of facilitating the whole Chavo thing and getting Chavo to turn on him, even though Kurt's supposed to be kind of a good guy and have Eddie's back, but he's kind of fucking him over and shit. And just all the little shit he was doing, it was, he was slowly becoming a scumbag and, but the buildup doesn't really like good story, whatever, but this is just one of the best in-ring matches I've ever seen. And Eddie getting his moment of victory at the end was just, and stealing it too in Eddie fashion is just the best. Yeah, way when to do he it. did the whole when he did the whole thing, he um, he unhooked it. And like you said, we talked about it at nauseum. So I don't know how much time like we really need to spend on it. Yeah, I mean, I could still talk about because that's one of my fondest memories. You know, getting that pay per view, and then like you know everybody coming over to watch. Yeah. And when I say everybody, I mean not in pocket Sharon. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, coming over to watch, and then Nana had enough, like halfway through, Bop is like, all right, I'm coming back because I have to see Kurt and Eddie, I have to see the triple threat, and I have to see Undertaker and Kane. Yeah. And, uh, like, I think he actually missed, like, half of, like, Eddie and Kurt. Mm-hmm. Or, or whatever. And, uh, no, he may no, he may have actually seen it. I, I don't remember, it was like twenty years ago. But uh like just how much like that you know those matches meant and like Eddie and Kurt because Eddie it was such a beautiful story, like how he won the title from Brock and then he's gonna defend it against Kurt. Nobody gave him a snowball's chance in hell. And then like when he started unhooking his bootlaces and then Kurt goes to slap the ankle lock on him, and then he rolls Kurt up after his boot falls off and pins him, and it's just like, holy shit. Like, they believe in Eddie Guerrero. 
Yeah. The boot that it just because like cheating has never and will never be glorified by a baby face ever again. Yeah. But the fact that Eddie was so enduring for being kind of like scummy, it's like I lie, cheat, I steal, and people are like fuck yeah, Eddie, you do all that shit, and. Like, him, like, fucking hiding the thing and, like, doing the thing with his boot to get out of the ankle lock. That's a smart thing that nobody yeah. would think of. And they've done it since, but that was, I think, the first, or if not one of the first finishes like that. Yeah. So, it just, it was trend-setting, it was new, it was fresh, and it was a great finish. Yeah, but, like, Eddie, and, and one of the... Kurt being so pissed about it made it. Yeah. When one of these days we will do an Eddie Guerrero top ten best moments and matches, although that's gonna be hard because I think there are so many. Yeah. Uh, because like Eddie, there's a lot of Eddie's twenty. 20 huh? huh? Top twenty. So we probably have to do a top twenty. For some of these guys, we might have to, yeah. Uh, but like, because Eddie had so many like funny moments too. Yes. Like fucking. The whole thing, uh, I'm trying to think, like the one match where he's teaming up with Booker T, I think it's like for the tag titles or something like that, and Eddie, uh, like Booker was nowhere near the corner to make the tag, so Eddie moved the tag rope to the middle, <laughs> to the middle of the ring, to, to the middle of the ropes. He would need a top 10 matches and a top 10 moment. Yeah. And but, Nick Patrick's just like, Eddie? Yeah. Back to the corner. He goes, no, tag ropes right here. I'm good. I'm good. Eddie, back to the corner. Or like when he's wrestling the Bashams in a handicap match and like the uh, Shakita or Shaniqua or whatever the hell her name was yeah. had the had the bull whip. So Eddie uh, poked her in the eye, took it from her, smacked one of the Bashams in the – because they had done the switcheroo. Yeah. Smacked one of the Bashams in the stomach with it and then whipped Nick Patrick in the ass. Yeah. And Nick Patrick says, like, ow, 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 and turns around. Eddie had already given the bullwhip back to the Basham. <laughs> and then the Basham's like, no, no, we didn't mean it. We, yeah. It wasn't and, then, and then Eddie won the, Eddie won the match. It was, it was so, so perfect. And, like, Eddie and Kurt had such great chemistry because they were able to do, like, so much with one another. Nice like, stuff. another fun Eddie moment, or Eddie and Kurt moment, well, kind of. But Vince was involved in a lot of this too. Was uh, when Vince fired Kurt as the the general manager of SmackDown. Yeah. After Kurt had proved that he could like that he was mobile and not hurt anymore. Yeah. So he said, "You're going to wrestle Eddie Guerrero at SummerSlam." And that Eddie comes out in the low rider, and he's just standing there, arms above the the windshield, and then Vince is doing the Eddie dance. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, and. Uh, and then Vince gets in the lowrider, and Eddie just starts making the lowrider do the lowrider things, and yeah. Vince is hanging on by dear, with dear for dear life. Yeah, it's like holy shit. But yeah, no, Eddie and Kurt, I think, was one of my favorite ruthless aggression rivalries. I mean, this is definitely one of my favorite uh, favorite ruthless aggression matches. I would agree tenfold. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, hey. I'm- Probably number one or two. Yeah. Number two, we have the last moment for Kurt. We have Sexy Kurt. Oh, boy. When he was making fun of uh, Shawn Michaels, he came out in the full get-up and he's singing the song. 
I'll make your ankles hurt. I'm just a sexy person. Sensational Sherry. God bless her. Yeah. God God rest her soul. R.I.P. Sherry. Yes. Uh, Yes. And she's like, you know, because she came out. Because Kurt was basically trying to just dig into Shawn Michaels' past, right? Yeah. He had done a match against Marty Jannetty. A match at which actually got Marty Jannetty rehired to the WWE. But then, of course, Jannetty fucked it up by getting drunk and arrested. But he had looked so good in that match with Kurt. uh, And they did that Rockers reunion with Sean and uh, uh, Marty on Raw or whatever when they wrestled La Resistance. And Marty looked so good to where JR's just like, if Kurt Angle thinks it's going to be a scrimmage on uh, SmackDown against Marty Jannetty, the Olympic gold medal winner better think again. And then they opened up SmackDown, had like a 20-minute classic or whatever, and was really good. Well, Kirk could work with anybody. Uh, I mean, if Giant Gonzalez were around, Kirk probably would have made that a passable match. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, <coughs> and then, like, the whole thing where he's just like, if you thought Marty Jannetty was something, wait till you see what I have planned now. He comes out with Sherry... And then he's like, I'm just a sexy Kurt. And then uh, Sherry goes, sexy Kurt. And Kurt's like, I'll make your ankle hurt. <laughs> so good. Yeah. <laughs> and then. Uh, How do you want me to sing? Makes me want to sing that. Cool, gets run off the air. Uh, and then uh, afterwards, like, Sean shows up on the video screen. And shows like a, a highlight package of his career. And Sean, and uh, then Sherry's kind of smiling at Sean. And then Kurt's like, "Hey, what are you doing? Like, I brought you out here." And then he asks Sherry to give uh, give him a kiss. So she goes to give him a kiss. He throws her down on the ground and then hooks her in the ankle lock. Which Sherry can take that shit. Yeah. Like Sherry's one of the toughest bitches around. So it was, yeah, it was it was a hell of a moment. Oh, definitely. All right, boys, drum roll. Number one, and this is why Sexy Kurt was a perfect prelude to that, because we have WrestleMania 21, his match against Shawn Michaels. Probably Absolutely the best. Absolutely my favorite match. match. It is. And your boy lost during it, but... One of the best told stories in the ring I've ever seen. And usually, like, a guy being held in a submission, it really depends, for, especially if it's for a super long time. Like, because Angle had fucking Sean in the ankle lock for, like, five minutes, it felt like. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. can either really work if it feels intense enough, both guys are into it, the crowd's into it, or it can be, like, very boring and very, like, what the fuck, like... But Sean was being so fucking Sean and overselling and being entertaining. Fucking Kurt has that fucking face and he's screaming and fuck at the top of his lungs and the veins are popping out of his head as he's twisting the ankle. The crowd's kind of going nuts and fucking Sean finally taps after so long. It was just such a good, a great win for Kurt, a well-deserved win for Kurt at a WrestleMania that he really needed and deserved, even though he doesn't last too much longer after this. I think this was a big win for Kurt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
it, it was a big win for him. Unfortunately, he transitioned right into the, you know, I'm going to harass Booker T's wife program. That might be unfortunate to you, but him trying to fuck Charmel was very entertaining as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it was creepy. Well, it, it, was, it was entertaining. <laughs> it was creepy, but... It, it was entertaining, but it was creepy, and it's something that, like, would get Kurt thrown in jail today. It does not age well at all, and they could never do it again. It was kind of the last of the edgy shit that they did. Yeah. But it was... If you yeah. watch, it was entertaining, though. Yeah. Which, like, when he basically... Well, I don't even know if I can... Say what he called uh, yeah, don't, Charmel. Don't. But no. yeah, he, he was weird. If you gotta think if you should consider <laughs> not, it usually. Well, no, what I'm saying is that like I I don't know because I don't know how well the the term has aged. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. We're agreeing if you, with if you. you have Just to don't think say about it. it. That means don't say it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but. <laughs> Kurt and Sean just put on one of the best WrestleMania matches I've ever seen. You got Mr. WrestleMania and Sean, and even though he's lost a shit ton of matches, and you have a really great in-ring competitor like Kurt. And the intensity, the electricity, yep. the showmanship, everything about it was 10 out of 10 perfect. Yeah, exactly. Like, yep. And Jim Ross made it even, commentary was even, made it even better, too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. JR and King, like, they were the perfect people to call that. Yes. Yep. Like, you didn't need Michael Coleman, that miserable little bastard that was <laughs> uh, his broadcast partner. Uh, yeah, no. Maybe it was yeah. one of those. And, and WrestleMania 21 isn't necessarily one of my favorite WrestleManias, but this match, you know, obviously ranks up there. Yeah. And we've covered WrestleMania 21, and this was actually number one on, like, our best WrestleMania matches list, right? I think so, yeah. And it's well-deserved. So Uh, so at least we have good continuity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we usually work in WrestleMania matches of all time, in my opinion. I love this WrestleMania as a whole, too, because it's, like, my guy's moment. And also, you see the birth of John Cena. But th- this match is the yep. best match on that card. Absolutely. It's kind of hard to argue that. All right, boys. Do we have final thoughts on Kurt Angle's career? Uh, when he – he is definitely one of the greatest performers of all time. Uh, and also when he has to be funny. Or not even when he has to be funny. He, he could be funny like – and not even have to think about it. Yes. Like, what he wants to be. When you, uh, like, if you show him something, you'll be like, hey, I want to do this tonight. Okay, cool. And he'll just, he'll roll with it. Yeah. Even if he looks like an idiot in a little cowboy. Yeah, you go um, That's what I was thinking. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, yeah, Kurt Angle, one of the best performers of all time in ring. He's a good promo. He'll turn anything into uh, gold, I think. And Even his medal. You give him, as Doug said, as Doug said, he, he will take anything, and if they give it to him, he'll, he'll agree to it. He doesn't usually turn anything down. He, he was both his 
WWE and TNA career are um, top notch. You can argue which one is better, but yeah, it's just great career. We could we could go on with this list if we wanted to. Yeah, we could, and maybe we will come back and revisit it. But uh, I will say I have a lot of love and affection for this certain individual because. To me, he's one of the best workhorses. Uh, he's also one of the most intense, entertaining individuals I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. Uh, he seems like the sweetest fucking dude outside of it, even with all the shit he goes through. Like, now he just seems like a complete, humble, great human being. Yeah. Uh, he's funny. Yeah. His podcast is fun to listen to. He's just a, an overall just one of the best workers of all time. And also, like... To be to go into sports entertainment just as an amateur wrestler, you think this guy would be boring as shit. And as we prove going through this list, he clearly wasn't. He's one of the more entertaining guys. So there's just exactly. a lot of. I think Kurt Angle might be the most underrated wrestler, right? Ever. Uh, and he gets yeah. he gets respect from his colleagues, but and from the fans, but not enough casual people know who Kurt Angle is. And yeah, I was going to say, from the diehard fans, like guys, he yeah. gets his bet, but from casual fans, they they only talk about, like, Austin, Hogan, and The Rock, and Undertaker. Yeah. Without Kurt Angle, there would be no John Cena. Let's remember that. I'd agree. He definitely helped make Very him. true. Very there true. would be a lot of guys, but also, without Kurt Angle, I don't know if there would be a level of legitimacy in wrestling that there is now. Yeah. And I don't think there would be a level of uh, athleticism that there is now without him. Right. And you got to remember, this is also a guy that helped make Edge, too. Yeah. He helped make a lot of guys. He's just one of the best. And Christian. Well, I would say Edge more because... Well, Christian in TNA, though, he's not wrong. They have matches in TNA. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying, like, WWE. He made Edge a star more than he ever made Christian a star. Yeah. All right, Doug, go to the plugs. All right. Make sure you listen to Boxman and Smart, the wrestling outlet, uh, Wednesdays, 10:15 Eastern, Eastern Time on YouTube. Listen to us, 6:30 p.m. Eastern Time, Unscripted Wrestling Podcast on Friday nights. Next week, we're gonna bring back something we haven't done in a long time. And since Big Brother's not doing a Wednesday show this week, we'll have time. We're gonna do a war drums, Ooh. a Nitro and a Raw, but we're gonna go ba- we're gonna go backwards. We're going to go back to the beginning. Well, not to the very beginning, but we're going to go back to September of 1995. September 25th of 1995. On that episode of Raw, the main event was The Undertaker and the British Bulldog. On that episode of Nitro, the main event was Ming and Lex Luger, I believe. And also, we had... uh, Huh? I thought you were going to go um, go back to the uh, first episode of uh, um, Nitro. No, because Raw didn't, Raw didn't run opposition to him that night. Okay. So we're going to do that. It, each episode's an hour. So we shouldn't fall asleep during them. Uh, but we'll do that. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Unscripted Unlimited. We're going to go through numbers. I think six through is either six through one or five through one of our top ten Big Brother villains. Yes. 
So yes. we got that. Sunday at whatever p.m. Eastern time, Daniel and Mindy decide to do the Stabcast. It's probably going to be around 7, and uh, it's going to be our top 10 spooky movies for spooky season. Okay. Say is this like, is this like top 10 weekend or something? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then... Uh, so, and then, of course, Eric and Clinton next week will be doing NFL hard hits either on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. They're going to be talking about the top 10 quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Karen's going to start her own show about top 10 favorite snack cakes. Oh, yeah. That Ooh. actually sounds like a good idea. I'll Eric, that. I'm actually kidding, but I may have just started something, so. You might get hungry during it. Uh, <laughs> all right. I yeah, that's a good idea. We should do that. All right, little Debbie. We'll see you all next week. Later, guys. Bye. See you tomorrow. Stay Well, not see you. I'll talk to you. We love you. Hell yeah. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.